Welcome to the Anything Goes Podcast, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And welcome to October 2017 as we're kicking off the little program that I have in mind for the month of October where we'll be covering all horror movies, but very specific horror movies where you're talking about horror remakes. And how this came about is when the It movie... Stephen King's It was announced that he was going to be a remake that was going to be coming down the pipeline that's now been released, that's been since released. And I was wondering, are there good horror remakes? Because for the, most people would say remakes are usually bad in comparison, like that's the kind of general perception of them. But there are times where remakes do match or sometimes outshine the original. And I think horror movies in general have an opportunity, for, depending if there is the movies are separated by decades, that they can tell their own stories and maybe improve upon the movies that they were they're remaking. As you can tell from the title, we're talking about Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. It came out in 2004. And throughout the month of October, I'll be having a new guest for each movie. And the guest I have with me is a very special one. He's a returning guest. He is a real fan for real movies. He is talking about all the Disney animated movies in a disorderly fashion. And he is leading the Holy Crusade when it comes to Batman. And, of course, I'm talking about Andy DiGenova. Andy, welcome back to the show. Hey, Tim. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, Happy for- haunting season. Yes. Um, I mean, of course, it's like as soon as like August ends, it's like, all right, now it's official. We can talk about it. We can be as soon as or almost like as soon as Labor Day gets, we get past Labor Day. Like, all right, no ifs, ands, or buts. It is haunting season right here. We're talking all about Halloween up until the 31st. Absolutely. I'm with you. My my birthday's on August 11th, so I start Halloween on August 12th. Nice. Uh, it's weird um, because I was I I went for a walk this evening and I was passing a house and they already had their house decked out with Halloween lights and inflatable things on the lawn and everything it looks very nice and spooky and I was like that's really cool and it was somebody who's going all out already and then I saw another house in the same neighborhood they had their Christmas lights up Whoa! Now, now that's now that I won't get behind. Yeah, the Halloween stuff I'll support. Christmas I'm not there. Yeah. Now I don't know because I I don't go past that house that often. I don't know if those lights have been there since last Christmas. And they just never took them down, or somebody just put them up recently and then that's gonna stay up until the holiday season is over. I'm not too sure. But well. Uh, who knows? Exactly. But anyway, uh, let's jump into our review of Dawn of the Dead right now. first see the original dawn of the dead and when did you first get introduced to this dawn of the dead from 2004 you know the original i i probably rented on video at some point in my teenage years i don't really remember when i don't remember that specific viewing other than i remember 
you know, I do remember watching it by myself, Home Alone in the middle of the night. So my guess is I was a teenager. I remember hearing that it was really good. It was a classic and it was one that I had never seen. So at some point I went to my local blockbuster and checked it out. And then when they were making the remake, uh, I didn't think much about it, but I remember when it came out, people saying it was actually really good. So I, I went and saw it in the theater and turns out I agreed. I actually really enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, I wish I had a great story about the first time I saw Dawn of the Dead. I just remember other movie nerds telling me that it was a classic. And so it's at a certain point I sought it out, really enjoyed it. But it's not one that I know like by heart. I think I've probably only seen it once or twice ever. Uh, and uh, I've, I've probably seen the remake more <laughs> just because it was more recent and I, I own it. I don't own the original. So I've seen the original, I think, once when I rented it and then another time when it was on TV or something. Uh, and then I've seen the remake a couple more times just because I purchased it. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of my history with it. I, I love them both. Um, so it goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning of, you know, not all horror sequel or excuse me, re remakes are crap. Sometimes they're really good and can stand alongside the original. And I feel like this is that occasion. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when it comes to, because some people will never accept a remake because they're simply a remake because it's like, they'll be like the originals infallible cannot be taught. No events or buts. I mean, like there will be time, like kind of like how you and I have our feelings on the Rob Zombie Halloween remakes. I know I have, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but at least we gave Zombie a chance. We saw them and we formulated our uh, opinions based upon it, but we didn't dismiss them outright. And mm -hmm. with this, I believe I saw the remake before I saw the original, and because I remember it came out this, it came out in 2004, and so did Shaun of the Dead, and since. I guess I, I enjoyed the comedic idea for a zombie movie a little bit more, so I ended up seeing Shaun of the Dead. That was probably like one of the first zombie movies I saw besides 28 Days Later, which will be brought up later again in this movie when we're doing a review here. And then saw the remake. Uh, I think that, like you rented it from... Uh, actually, I rented the remake from Blockbuster once it finally came out on video. And then it was like maybe a year or two later that I saw the uh, original after being said, after being told, like, how could you have seen the remake without seeing the original? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, all right, fine, fine, I'll see it. And then once I saw the original, like, okay, I understand why it stood the test of time and why it has such a legacy around it. I mean, I think I prefer Night of the Living Dead over Dawn of the Dead. And, I, and obviously, like, last podcast we did when we counted down our favorite horror movies, I prefer Day of the Dead as my favorite of the original trilogy that George A. Romero did. And I think it's kind of we should maybe acknowledge the fact that we've lost George A. Romero this year. So mm -hmm. without him, none of this would exist. So I think that's something that has to be acknowledged. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we just lost him. What was it? Was it like a month ago or so? But yeah, I mean, for someone who made such an indelible mark on film, on the genre uh, and really, I mean, created the zombie genre and then redefined it numerous times with both the original Night of the Living Dead and then Dawn of the Dead. And he continued to revisit the dead uh, like every decade or so, I feel like, uh, every, you know, every once in a while you would go back to it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, really grateful for for all the amazing films he made. And it's, you know, it's a shame that he, he passed, but he did leave a hell of a legacy behind. 
Yeah, and it's it's and it's almost feels like because he always wanted to be not just be known as the dead guy. That's why because he was was offered an idea to do a sequel of the Night of Living Dead right away, and he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So that's why he didn't do like Dawn of the Dead right away. That's why he did a few years in between uh, Night and Dawn, and then eventually doing a day a day, day of the dead and such. So mm-hmm. kind of respect the fact that he wasn't just ready to milk the cow and like beat the dead horse to, uh, to coin a phrase there. But, um, and then all the other movies he did outside, they like creep show, which you got a chance to see recently, right? Oh yeah. I went and saw it on the big screen a couple weeks ago and it was awesome. I loved it. Uh, it was funny. I actually brought up creep show, uh, last night when somebody was describing, uh, like a family friend is like, like, yeah, like, like I met, uh, I met her sister. And it's like, what's she like? Like she's loud and very forward. And it's immediately, for some reason, I thought of Adriana Barbeau as Billy in creep show. Like so much. <laughs> so I lean over to my, my brother-in-law, like, just call me Billy. And he immediately got the reference that both of us are cracking up. My, my sister and my dad are looking at us like, what's wrong with you two? And we're like, we're not going to explain it. So, um, anyway, so back to the dawn of the dead here. And I, I, I like the fact that as the movie opens up, we're introduced to Anna, who plays a nurse in a hospital. And everything just seems rather quiet and kind of quaint and everything. Like, we do see people getting rushed in a little bit more and more as she leaves the hospital after, like, being a couple hours after her shift is ended. She's still at work. And it's like, all right, something's a little amiss here. Everything seems a little strange, but, like, nothing to really call attention to it. Like, if you're walking into this and not knowing this is uh, a remake or anything, you just see, like, Dawn of the Dead, like, all right, we'll see how long this takes. And she goes home. She sees uh, uh, the Vivian, the little girl from across the street, has an evening with her husband. And all of a sudden, the following morning, Vivian's uh, a zombie and attacks them. I mean, like, it's no more than five minutes of the movie. The zombie outbreak hits the characters right away. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's something like I guess is what you would say like um like 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 none of the zombie movies, even the George Romero movies like didn't take too long like Dawn of the Dead opens up like mid crisis as the characters are in the the TV station but something like hits you so visceral visceral so quickly is something you don't really see in uh, horror movies I mean like you have a little bit of a slow build up. And maybe it's like ten minutes and something will hit you, but nothing this quickly. And I think that's kind of a a testament to both James Gunn's script and Zack Snyder's direction. I mean, uh, those two are the kind of kings of geeks right now. And uh, as with Guardians of the Galaxy and the DCEU and, and so on. Um, but what do you think of this scene when the little girl attacks uh, Vivian's husband, bites him, and immediately he turns? Well, I mean, one thing I love about the movie, just the way it is set up of how Anna is just going about her day as it's every other day. And and I love just the normalcy of that first scene of her at work and trying to get stuff taken care of. And because we know the movie is called Dawn of the Dead, we know that something bad is happening. So you're right. Like they 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 mentioned someone having been bitten and you're like, we know that, oh, that's a bad sign. And they just kind of brush it off because they don't know they're in a horror movie. They don't know what that bad things are about to happen. And so I loved just seeing her routine of, oh, she just drives home and she talks to the little girl who's a neighbor and she's, you know, and she 
watches TV with her husband. And I just loved how normal it was because that way when the little girl shows up and now she's a zombie, I mean, almost immediately after, uh, it's amazing how quickly life went from just completely mundane and normal to just all hell had broken loose. And uh, I love how quickly that that switch flips. Yeah, and it's one of those things like like some people kind of have a kind of complaint against Zack Snyder saying that he's a visual stylist. He's not the greatest storyteller. I don't think that. I think he's actually a very good storyteller. But I, don't, I also think that he's a great visualist in general. And one of the things while I was rewatching this, like, there's certain moments that pop up, and I remember, like, oh, I remember, I know exactly what's going to happen next. It's when the husband's bitten, and he chucks the little girl down the hallway to get her to get her away from him, and she immediately jumps to her feet, and she's kind of backlit, and she's kind of silhouetted. I remember, like, from the very first time I saw it, I'm like, wow, that's really interesting, and seeing zombies run and then seeing how the infection takes no time is mm-hmm. immediate and something that's also taken from 28 days later which introduced since that was not technically a zombie movie danny boyle doesn't acknowledge it as a zombie movie but it is a zombie movie let's not beat around the bush here i mean and like the infection happens almost instantaneously and and like like the one thing it has kind of over the the originals like the original series is like all right i guess somebody's bitten i have to deal with this quickly i can't say goodbye or anything like that i think i should or which we kind of handle a little bit later but it's like depending on how serious the bite is you're gonna have to react quickly and immediately intensifies the the driving force in the movie and of course like anna barricades himself in her bathroom Crawls out after her husband tries to eat, her, uh, take a bite out out of her. She goes outside, and li- like you said before, all hell is broken loose in this kind of small Milwaukee uh, suburb. I mean, like things are falling from the sky, like explosions are happening in the distance. Neighbors are pulling guns at her and being run over by ambulances, and it's like like you kind of help like kind of sit back and laugh because like this is just pure lunacy at this point this it's ridiculous and i love the fact that it's like as soon as the titles happen like this is when the other the other of the 28 days influences shown because like a lot of that movie least the opening shows like kind of terror that's happening around the world and kind of violence brewing and it's kind of shown representing in these the this these credits and something that uh, Guy Milks, uh, who was on the show last, he actually sent me notes about uh, about his uh, his theories about this this Dawn of the Dead. Now, George A. Romero was very politically conscious when he made his zombie movies. Like the original Dawn of the Dead is obviously an attack on consumerism, uh, like setting it in the mall. And this one kind of seems like an idea, kind of almost like the zombies are almost terrorists, and it's kind of like the immediate reaction, like you go to sleep. Everything's normal. You wake up, the world's turned upside down by this terror that you not expected, and and I and I guess having those kind of credits and seeing those kind of I say uh, groups of people shown in the title sequence is not uh, by mistake. I think it's rather intentional. What do you think about that? Hmm. I mean, that's interesting. I haven't. 
God, I honestly haven't given it that much thought. So now I wish, you know, I wish I'd have heard that before I watched it. So I could have really been looking for that because uh, you're right. Like the I mean, I feel like Romero's film is very obviously satirical about consumerism and watching the zombies amble through the mall. And, and it was very, you know, it was very overt. Um, I feel like maybe I had heard uh, some rumblings about perhaps an allegory for for the post 9-11 world. Um but I haven't given it that much thought. So, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the way it inspires paranoia, paranoia, the way it inspires chaos, the way it, it uh, you know, caused people to turn against each other. So, I mean, I guess there is something there. I just haven't thought about it too deeply. Yeah. I mean, like if you were not aware of it, like, like kind of like you said, like you it kind of just, you can just enjoy the movie as is. However, if somebody kind of like illuminates you to that, it kind of makes you want to go back and re rewatch it. Like, all right, are there more allusions to that theme throughout? And you're like, okay. And want to kind of break it down a little bit more. And as some people have seen with other Zack Snyder movies, whether it be like Man of Steel or BBS, like their whole podcast dedicated to breaking down scene by scene analysis of those movies. So, Obviously, the, that kind of thought process is taken into account when it comes to his work, and it's almost like from the word go, he was like that. So it's curious about that. And so Anna and then is driving, trying to get out of this chaos and out of her neighborhood. At one point, it goes like a bird's eye view of like the highway, and you see a car crash into a gas station. We see a yellow helicopter fly through. It's kind of like a reference to the original Dawn of the Dead because the main characters flew in a yellow helicopter. She crashes her car and meets up with Kenneth and Ving Rhames. Uh, what do you think of Ving Rhames' performance as Kenneth throughout this movie? I mean, Ving Rhames is always great. Like, he's just one of those actors that I always enjoy seeing pop up, and I love that he was here. But what's interesting about it is that I think I remember before I even saw the movie and then even going in, I assumed he would be the hero. Right. Because he, cause he's being Rames. Um, and so I was a little taken aback that even though he was a cop, he had his own agenda. And it took some convincing to get him to think about more than just trying to get to his brother. Uh, he was he was less interested in protecting more people, um, which was which was a unique uh, take on that since he was the cop. You know, usually the cop just innately is is more interested in in taking care of everyone and he was kind of like you guys aren't my problem i'm out to see i mean rames is always great he's great in the role he's always great whatever he does um but yeah the the switch on the character when you see him and you go oh this is a police officer he's going to be the one to take charge and he's going to be the one to kind of lead these people and it turns out that's not the case uh, i think that's that's an interesting uh, approach to take because the one who does take the lead and tries to protect as many people as possible is the best buy worker. So uh, that's kind of a nice little shift on who you were going to expect to, to be the hero here. Yeah. And that the idea of that your own self-interest um, could theoretically lead to your downfall is something that plays out throughout the rest of the movie. Like there's so many characters that make kind of selfish decisions and, they end up getting killed for it. We'll get into that a little bit later uh, with with specific examples. Um, and so we meet up with – after Anna teams up with Kenneth, they run into Michael, Andre, and Luda as they are trying to figure out where to go and decide there's the nearby mall. We'll hang out in there. Uh, 
So it's funny. Like, I just think when I say like, let's go to the mall. I just kept thinking of like, um, how I met your mother and Rob mm, saying, yeah. let's go to the mall. And my dad's walking in and he, I just, he sees me chuckling and I'm like, what's, why are you chuckling at people getting eaten? I'm like, uh, don't worry about it. It would be too long to explain uh, another joke like that. Um, and so they get to the mall empty and it seems to be rather secure and this is kind of like really silly when they decide to michael goes into one of the sporting goods stores to, to find himself a better weapon and i'm like he puts down his crowbar and i'm like no dude like if you ever read like well obviously you've never read it but it's like one of those things in um zombie survival guide you never leave a crowbar because it has multiple uh applications and just not as a weapon as a tool and runs into a zombie, tries to use uh, what? Not a was it not a was it? A it's like a croquet mallet, yeah. Yeah, okay. Which, and I thought the same thing. I was like, how? In what world is a croquet mallet more useful than a crowbar? What are you thinking, man? Like, croquet mallet isn't heavy enough to do any real damage. It's, pick up that damn crowbar. Exactly, because it immediately the, the, the mallet immediately breaks the first strike he has against the zombie he runs into. I mean, luckily he's resourceful enough to use that and impale the zombie to save himself. But I'm like, I mean, it's kind of like uh, the Shining uh, miniseries that Stephen King did where he said, like, all right, I'm not going to have the Jack Torrance character use an axe. I'm going to use a croquet ballot. I'm like, mm, sorry, the kind of scare factor here is just kind of lacking when it's like, okay, croquet ballot. I'm not going to be kind of terrified of a thing that can splinter uh, if you drop it. Um, yeah, I thought the same thing. I'm like, but I think that in the book it was a croquet mallet. So, so he was all like, "Oh, that's what I wrote. That's what I'm going to change it to." As far as the shining goes, I'm talking about. Right. Um, but there was a reason that uh, Kubrick changed it to an axe because an axe is a hell of a lot scarier than a croquet mallet. <laughs> right. Oh man, I like. Well, I was like, I, like, I'm reading Christine right now, and I'm loving it. So I'm just like, I, I'm just gonna have to probably pick up the shining now afterwards because I'm curious to see like what King's original vision was for that story and how Kubrick changed it. Uh, but anyway, um, so after the team goes to the second floor of the mall, they run into the security team that's hiding out in the mall. Uh, uh, and the group leader, CJ, I didn't realize this at first. Uh, the actor playing him is Michael Kelly, who you might remember uh, for some people for playing Doug on House of Cards. And I didn't realize that the first time I was like, I'm watching this. I'm like, why do I seem very familiar? I'm like, it's because the man has facial hair here and hair on top of his head. And nowadays he's like clean shaven and bald. Like, that's why I didn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think of this kind of ragtag group of security guards here the first time you saw them? Well, I mean, you know, that's always the fun of these, these zombie movies is, is seeing this motley crew of random people who then have to band together. Um, it's funny that you mentioned uh, CJ, uh, and then the actor, Michael Kelly, because I was like, God, I know that guy. Why do I know that guy? And for me, it wasn't House of Cards. I've never watched House of Cards. I hear it's great. Just haven't watched it. Um, and but he's you know, he's one of those character actors who's been around a long time, but he's in Man of Steel. Oh, and my... yeah, yeah, he. He's uh, oh, God, the, what the heck is the character's name? Oh, I forget, but he tries to um, – he's one of the people who works at the Daily Planet with – Lombard, uh, Steve Lombard. Gotcha. Yeah. 
He's Steve Lombard, who, you know, he's he's the, the character is traditionally kind of a the sleazy co-worker of Clark Kent's at the Daily Planet. And I was like, oh, my God, that's him. So uh, because he looks so different as CJ with, you know, with the mustache and the and the hair. And I mean, he's in good shape and everything. And um, but the fact that like you, you, you know, you're already starting to see that there's going to be uh, there's going to be internal drama amongst the survivors and the threats won't just be the zombies, which always tends to happen in these types of situations is um, even though there's zombies outside wanting to eat us, we still can't manage to get along amongst ourselves. And so, yeah, it's one of those things where it starts out and you're like, Oh, this guy, this guy's going to be a huge pain in the ass and uh, he's going to be trouble. And then things play out in a somewhat expected way and then in a somewhat unexpected way, which I, I liked as well. I, I like that about the movie just as a whole about playing with our expectations. You know, we talked about it with Ving Rhames and with, uh, with the character of Michael. And then same thing here with CJ is, is we have an expectation of him and then that expectation turns out to be accurate, but then it actually changes a bit by the end. Yeah. And it's funny. Like there's so many, <sighs> That had to be unintentional. I mean, like when it comes to of things that show up in this movie and would show up later on in Zack Snyder's work. Like obviously, the part of the mall that the the main crew that they are kind of held in is called Metropolis. Later to be seen, obviously in Man of Steel and BVS. Uh, like you said, uh, Michael Kelly would end up being in Man of Steel. One of the other actors would play Malik in Watchmen. He he was the one uh, the father. Oh who, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, of course, Matt Frewer. Yes, and I'm, I'm Max watching he- Max Hedrum himself. That's what. That's why I recognize him. Okay, that's, that's, that was like his big thing was Max Hedrum, and then I mean he's done a, he's done a bunch of things. He's he's actually really talented. I feel like the guy's never gotten the credit he deserves because he's whenever he shows up, he's really good. He's just a talented guy. He's also. Uh, the jerk neighbor in honey i shrunk the kids like he's he's done so much random stuff um but yeah uh, i i forgot that he was in watchmen until you just said that so but that's one thing that's very true about Zack snyder is Zack snyder uh he really creates a family as far as the people he works with and so you'll see him work with those same people over and over and over again so there's there's no surprise that some of these folks showed up in later Zack snyder films yeah, I mean, like, was I think like the only thing that kind of hurt Matt Furrow's career was kind of uh, Lawnmower Man Two. That oh was, yeah, well, I never even saw that one. <laughs> but I mean, I'm it, sure. Oh, I mean, it's like it's a cliche thing to say. Like, it's so bad, it's good. It's because he's he's Matt Furrow's Jim carrying it up to like the nth degree in that movie. And it's like you kind of like watch the mouths of gate like, wow, he's going to keep going big and he's he's going to get bigger. Like, wow, it's it's silly, but it's actually a lot of fun to watch. But uh, yeah. And like you were saying before, like this security team and these group of survivors have to have this kind of unsteady um, alliance. And earlier on, before they run into the security team, they actually run into a zombie out like near one of the entrances of the mall. And another thing that I remember from this movie is when Ving Rhames' character Kenneth gets into a brawl with the said zombie and he falls into the fountain that's out there. I always remembered him cutting his arm on the dispenser that's that's dropping the water in there. And for some reason, when it cuts that close up and that little shishing sound effect, like, oof, always makes you feel really uncomfortable. 
mm-hmm. and Luda, who's uh, Andre's wife, is uh, Scratch. We didn't like, and of course, it's a zombie movie. Well, it's not. Let's not tell anybody that hey, I'm sick here because drama and. It's kind of like the rules of a vampire movie. It's just like, all right, I've been bitten, but I'm not going to tell anybody until it's far too late for them to help me. Um, and I love, and during, after they dealt with the zombie, and we are kind of nestling into everything for the night, we get to see all these news reports, and we see all the cameos from three of the actors from the original Dawn of the Dead. Uh, we have Tom Savini as a sheriff, we have Scott Rayner as the general, and Ken Furry as a TV um, evangelist. Uh, condemning humanity, and this is exactly what we brought upon ourselves. So, more themes of kind of things uh, being brought upon in this movie. And I love this always line that, like, CJ says, he, like, he, I, wrote, I wrote down, like, America always shorts, uh, sorts its shit out, and he's just being very pr- proudful, like, ah, oh, yeah, like, don't worry, we got the situation handled. And Ving Rhames' character just kind of shakes his head, and I'm like, like, dude, like, there's no way we're going to be able to deal with it, like, go back to a normal day life we're just gonna have to somehow cope with this kind of outgoing uh, this uh, ongoing crisis um uh following uh we later on the following day we meet andy the gun owner uh from across the street and um i'm trying to think like um i'm trying to remember what i remember him from now um uh and then later on, we get introduced to new characters that are seeking sanctuary in the mall. And another cool thing that I really enjoy about this, um, with the ad- advent of new technology and being able to have CGI zombies in the movie, you can kill them in more kind of, I guess, creative ways and then have more of them uh, in in your shot compared to like, all right, I only have two dozen extras and I have to make it work. Now we can have endless amounts of zombies attacking the mall. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that, like, um, the truck that they're driving, that these new survivors that, that now are brought into the mall, is a, in the company uh, logo on the van. It's the same one from the original Dawn of the Dead. Oh, really? That's neat. I didn't know that. Yeah. Again, I mean, I'm not such a Dawn of the Dead, like, original – it's not like Halloween for me where I know every frame of that movie and I'm going to pick up on every single Easter egg. I love Dawn of the Dead. And I've seen it a couple times, but I don't know it that well. So it's cool to hear those nods. I did recognize the cameos, though, from the original cast members that I picked up on. I know who Tom Savini is. I know who Ken Foray is. I know those people. So I thought that was a really nice nod. But uh, how cool about the truck? I didn't know that. Yeah, like I like I was looking for. It looks familiar to me, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And of course, I had to go to IMDb trivia to get, like see like is that and I just like control F truck and that like, that's like the first thing that popped up I'm like okay i'm not going crazy here um and then we're introduced to uh uh obviously like was said matt Furrow who plays uh frank and mm. then we see uh kind of a a bigger woman who's been uh bitten but we do not know the infection is brought through bites and this well, is kind of we- like- we do. Yes, we the, the audience. The audience, the audience does, but yes, the uh I and I keep forgetting that. It's funny because like you see these guys come in with bites and you hear Matt Fur even says he goes, "Oh, it's just a small bite. I'm fine. Like deal with them." Uh and we're like, "What? Oh my god, they're doomed." And I'm like, "Oh wait, they've never they haven't seen a zombie movie. They don't know they're in a zombie movie." Okay, all right. I, they'll figure it out. <laughs> and this is interesting like the woman 
dies and immediately comes back as a zombie, runs out to Anna, and she kills the woman with a fi- uh, fire poker to the eye. And what are your opinions on slow zombies versus fast zombies? I mean, I prefer slow just because it's like classic, you know, like that. To me, that's part of a zombie, and it's it's not about speed. It's just about uh numbers you know just being overwhelmed by by numbers that's i think what makes them scary but i'm not opposed to fast zombies because i think that especially here uh in this film it's used to great effect where where it's truly intimidating and terrifying and it feels hopeless and so because of that um you know i i'm not against it so it's like I guess that's a, a long way of saying is like I'm fine with both, but if I if I were to choose, I would choose classic slow Night of the Living Dead zombies. Yeah, I mean I prefer that as well because it seems like like it's kind of like the rule of a slasher villain. Like no matter how far how fast I run, they'll always somehow walk faster than you and will always catch up. Mm-hmm. And and just and then just like the kind of like intimidation, like I love like this that one one the image that comes to mind right now from the original Night of the Living Dead is like the wide shot of the entire crowd descending upon the house before the zombies really start to break in, and it's just, just something that's really unnerving about a group of people slowly coming upon you. Like, all right, I cannot get away from these people. Fast zombies, like, all right, crap, I got, uh, I, I, I should make a decision now, and I hope, I hope to God my life can just keep, uh, keep me going here, and as like you said, like Matt Frewer's character Frank is is bitten, and they have the talk, they have, they have every zombie movie has the talk, we gotta deal with this, and we have to put the person down, and it's one of those more moral questions that comes up in every zombie movie, like, all right, how do we deal with this? Like, can we kill this? Can you? kill this person before they become a zombie and like can we allow this person to become the undead before we make a decision and i feel like this scene like it's supposed to be it's supposed to be kind of emotional and like ving rames's character like uh like um locks himself in one of the stores with frank as soon as he turns frank turns we see it off camera we hear the gunshot and I know it's supposed to be kind of like the scene, like in the original Dawn of the Dead, where Roger turns and like it's later, it's like like three quarters of the way through the movie, and it's a big emotional impact. For for me, this scene kind of falls flat. I'm not too sure. Like I don't think I I don't think I got the emotional experience that they were hoping for. What about you? You mean between him and his daughter? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, it worked on me. I obviously, I think it would have worked more if we had more time to get to know them uh, mm. because this happens pretty much as soon as they enter the picture. Uh, Matt Frewer doesn't have a big part here. Maybe that's why he got the part in Watchmen was like, well, sorry, I gave you such a small part in Dawn of the Dead here, be in Watchmen. Um, but because that happens so quickly, I think that, yeah, like we don't have a history with these characters, but at the same time, I think it's pretty easy to look at that scene and go, Oh my God, imagine if that was your father or imagine if that was your daughter, either way, uh, having to say goodbye, knowing, and I actually thought that as I was watching it, as they were embracing, it's like, if you're hugging your father, goodbye, and you know that as soon as you let go, that'll be the last time you ever get to see them. Like, 
when do you let go? How can you possibly choose to let go because you know that that's it? And so for me, actually, I thought it was a really nice scene. Um, I get your point. Uh, if we knew the characters better, it probably would have been an even better scene. But even as it was, it, it did work for me. Right. And like going, like you're saying with that hug, like, and also, do you want to be the person to let go first? Right. Exactly. And, and you're like, like, it's like, all right, like I, like I'm willing to be able to step away from this more easily than you. I mean, but like it does have that emotional effect. And I think that effect worked a little bit. I mean, not as much to what they were hoping for, but I think it's the moment when everybody leaves the store and Kenneth closes the gate behind him and just locks himself in that moment. Like, okay, I'm going to make sure nothing like, like, nothing's going to happen to these people outside here. I, I am taking responsibility for this. That I thought was a really good moment. Um, another thing that I noticed here in the mall, like two things that two signs I've noticed in the mall, like uh, the mall itself is called the crossroads mall. You can make your kind of assumptions of like uh, humanity or these people are at a crossroads in their life and what they're going to have to do. And, um, the coffee shop is called Hallowed Ground, so a nice little pun mm -hmm. right there. Yeah, <laughs> I kept seeing that. And sometimes in the shot, it was cut in such a way that it almost looked like it said Halloween. Yeah, and and apparently, like uh, according to the commentary track, like they wanted Starbucks to be a part of, like to be like a sponsor in it, but they said no. And so like, all right, fine, we'll just make up our own version. I think for I think it actually works for the better that way. I noticed that too, though. Is I was like, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these stores are they're made up, and I did think about like, yeah, but I could I could see businesses not wanting to be, to be, uh, you know, involved with it, especially because like, because of the reputation of the original, um, and it's skewering consumerism and just kind of blind purchasing. Uh, I, you know. Before they even saw this new version, I'm sure they were like, no, because you're saying that it's bad that people shop at my store. Uh, so, yeah, but that's OK. I would prefer the the imaginary businesses anyway. It's fine. Yeah. And that going going upon that idea, I do find it funny that like all the kind of merchandising that came out of Dawn of the Dead, the people like bought up like uh, like hotcakes, like whether it be T-shirts, posters and what have you. I just find that kind of funny in an ironic sort of way. Oh, oh yeah, but um, and like and it's funny because I'm like I like and I'm thinking to myself like yeah I have a Dawn of the Dead T-shirt and I'm like yep that that makes sense and I have a few friends that have Dawn of the Dead posters and anyway and then and so after Frank is killed, this is, and jumps into a, a small montage here and this is what like I guess Blake Snyder recalled the fun and games section of your screenplay mm -hmm. because like everybody's having a somewhat normal slash good time living it up inside the uh the mall and sets you one of the funniest covers i ever heard in my life of uh, richard jesus uh down with the sickness the of the by originally by the band disturbed mm -hmm. what do you think of this montage here oh it's great it's i mean it's one of my favorite parts of the movie but i mean it makes sense that like you know these people are still human beings and um they're going to take advantage that they're living in a mall. And so it, and it's also a nice little pressure release for the audience to, to get something, you know, get a break from the horror and, you know, just this, this really terrible situation they're in. So I think it, it works in a lot of different ways, but, um, 
you think, you know, I mean, it's almost like a wish fulfillment thing of like, oh, if I was locked in a mall and I could do whatever I wanted, like, what would I do? And here we see, oh, here's what they would do. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I would be like that person, like, all right, I'm riding a bike around the mall because I've never had a chance to, or the opportunity to do that. So that's definitely something I would do. Uh, I like the moment when Steve's playing golf off the roof and he's teeing off and he knocks one of the zombies in the head that's in the parking lot with the golf ball. Or Kenneth and Andy uh, and playing chess via the uh, uh, dry erase boards. And yeah, I always thought that I always thought that was funny. Yeah. And then, like, very similar moment when they did this in the original Dawn of the Dead. But, like, and that was kind of like, it's supposed to be poking fun of the satirical nest, and it's kind of like I had a darker edge. But here, especially after the scene of Frank being uh, killed, I think you're, you're right. It is a nice reprieve and something that the audience definitely needed. And then, and of course, then the montage ends with them trying to pick out celebrity lookalikes for Andy's character to snipe out a snipe out of uh from his rooftop like burt reynolds burt reynolds and then we see a burt reynolds character and you see his head explode from his sniper round i'm like okay this is pretty funny and i love the joke that anna makes fun of everybody who's getting a, a hoot out of this like you guys all had really bad childhoods didn't you and all the guys are like wait what what do you mean um and then i and i think my and it's followed up with my my favorite scene in the movie is when they're all having dinner at one point and they're talking about their favorite job or their best job or their least favorite job and war, like experiences like that. And Mike uh, Michael's character opens up with like saying worst uh, job I was at, uh, was worst job I was I worked at was being a husband. Best job was being a dad. And for some reason, Jake Weber's like delivery of that line that hit me. I was like, oh, man, that's really that's really emotional right there. What would you think of this scene? No, I think this is a great scene because it really, you know, just like it's nice to to take a break and, and have some fun. It's also you've got to take a break to get to know your characters and to learn more about them. And I think that um, it's I think it's interesting how Michael kind of emerges as this unexpected savior and you find out you know, in the context of this of this horrific event, he's the guy we're all looking to. He's the guy that we're admiring. And you find out he was a completely normal guy, like just as normal as they come and not a particularly good uh, husband, but, you know, considered himself a good father. And so it's important to get to know more about it. But I think that especially for for that character, it really plays into to how he has risen to the occasion and then speaks to how like, it doesn't matter where you come from, but you can, you can rise to the occasion if need be because he's the one who's done it. And so, so I, I love this moment because it just takes a moment to, to, to get quiet and to allow us to, to get to know these characters. Yeah. And something that they brought up early in the movie, like Andre questions the fact, like, why are we taking orders from you? Like, what did you do in your past life that made you a good person that we should be following? Like, nothing in particular. I, I sold TVs at Best Buy, and and like Andre's just like, like Jesus Christ, like I'm I shouldn't have to deal with this nonsense here. And while this is going on, like we said, like Andre's wife uh, Luda is pregnant, and then she kind of find sanctuary in like the children's like the baby store inside the mall 
And mm-hmm. it's like we mentioned before that she has been scratched and we haven't seen from her in a while. And she's like eight or nine months pregnant at this point. Um, we'll kind of get back to her in a little bit. But power goes out in the mall. So everybody has to go down to the generators and charge those up. and has to go to the parking lot to do that. And so, like, uh, I guess the CJ and we had, like, Terry. We had, like, we had uh, Kenneth go down there. And I thought this is the most suspenseful, one of the most suspenseful, suspenseful scenes in the movie. And, and of course, like, we see shadows. We see something running around the dark with them. And they only have a few flashlights to illuminate wherever they can see they're going. And we see something that's approaching them. And it's a dog. And it's like, oh. Whew, okay, everything's fine here, but that's when a legless zombie using his kind of upper body strength and, like, monkey-barring himself across the parking lot and attacks Terry. I remember when I first saw this, I jumped out of my seat because I was like, I was not expecting that because I literally jumped with fright. And I'm like, and immediately sat down and was like, I feel like an idiot right now. I'm like, I'm like, a a zombie like that, like even like you see him for a few seconds before he attacks the character Terry, but it's like for some reason I jumped and I felt rather silly afterwards. Well, I mean, it's it is scary because you think that, yeah, they trick you, you know, oh, it's just a dog, everything's fine, and everything's not fine. Although it's still not clear why the zombies had no interest in the dog. Yeah, because most like you think like they would just say meat is meat, like because like other zombie movies, yeah. like you've seen them eat like cows or whatnot like but like then again it's its own universe it has its own rules so i guess we're not going to take everything like a hard fast rule because like there's they're they're allergic to dog it it has to be the only explanation here and then i mean it obviously comes into play later which i thought was really clever about how they they paid that off about the fact that for whatever reason these zombies they just have no interest in dogs and then it, it comes back around I wonder if they had that point to begin with. Like, they wanted to have, like, all right, we should have the dog bring food over to another character later on. But, like, wouldn't the zombies eat the dog? Like, not if we show them not eating the dog in the first place. I wonder if it was, like, one of those situations, like, who said, like, they'll eat the dog outright. Nobody Mm -hmm. did. So... And then it gets into this tense uh, scene where we see the character CJ really start to emerge as a kind of a heroic character. And they set fire to zombies at one point. And this is where, like, the kind of, like, inklings of, like, how Zack Snyder would become, like, an an action director came from this movie. Where we see them setting the fire to the zombies. And, of course, it's done in slow motion, like, one of the first things that become a staple part of his kind of filmmaking uh I don't want to say bag of tricks, but um, his you can say that. That's fair. (laughs) Yeah, filmmakers have bags of tricks. It's okay. That's true, but I feel like some people would say like, oh, like you say like, oh, it's just the audience like they're manipulating the audience in a kind of crude or like a in a um, crappy way or something like that. At least some people, at least like some people I went to school with, like had the kind of negative connotation. But anyway, uh, going back to Andre and his wife, it finds out like. His wife dies, like, and then, like, because of the zombie bite. But he immediately comes back to life, and she's still pushing out the baby. This I did not expect. First, when I, when I, when I saw this movie, I was like, oh, okay. 
And I, I wrote down my notes. I'm like, born dead. Like, ah, oh, that should be a band title right there. I mean, because <laughs> like, it gives birth to a, a zombie baby, something you don't see. And one of the women, like one of the older kind of matronly women that goes in to check on to see how they're doing, sees Luda as a zombie, kills her, and Andre pulls his gun on her, and they have a shootout in, in this little kind of like almost like a Build-A-Bear workshop. And it's freaky. Like, in the director's cut, you see more of the zombie baby. But in the theatrical cut, like, as soon as, like, they reveal the zombie baby, they immediately just cut to an outside of the shot, and we hear the gunshot go off. And for some reason, I think that worked a little bit better than it does in the director's cut, seeing the, the baby, like, try to attack them, and everybody reacts. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, because I've got the Blu-ray, so it's the director's cut. So uh, I didn't remember what was different and what wasn't. But uh, that this part, man, it's like this part's heartbreaking to me because that that lady was so cool. Uh, you know, she was the the one who tried to save all those people, and she's the one who drove them in on her truck. And so uh, she, you know, she was the one doing the right thing. And the fact that uh, that Andre just just lets her have it, oh, it pisses me off because she didn't do anything oh it's so uh yeah it's kind of a heartbreaking moment and then it is uh it is freaky so i do wonder like i thought the zombie baby worked but maybe in test screenings it didn't maybe it was maybe people giggled or something and and that's why they cut it down for the theatrical yeah i mean because it's obviously a cg baby it's not like they put makeup like all over a real child um and i I always find it a little weird because like Andre's holding his baby, like, wrapped in blankets in one hand. And for some reason, like, you don't see, like, any of the baby, like, sticking out from the blanket whatsoever. It just looks like he's holding a clump of the blanket. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, he's not holding anything in there. It's just the blanket. He's supposed to be reacting to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, it's not as bad as kind of like how um, American Sniper, where, like, people called out, like, the really fake plastic baby that they... And people could see in the movie theater, like, yeah, you guys definitely did not have a real baby on set there. That is totally fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think I know exactly what you're talking about. I think I saw that too. But um, they decide to, like, all right, we can't stay here. We got to get out of here. And that's when the character of Steve pipes up saying, hey, as a joke, like, hey, why don't we just all go down the marina, jump on my boat, and we'll just, uh sail on over to an island and try and live out there. And everybody is okay with this. And Steve's like, wait, no, I was, guys, I was kidding here. I was not being serious. And I love the moment when CJ just runs down the list of, like, all the reasons why they will die doing this. And this is why we're taking such a huge risk just to hope to get to an island. And they're like, yeah, that's what we're doing. All right, I guess we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's that decision of like, we, we've got two options is we, we can just stay here and, and wait to die or we can try to go find something else and they they take the risk. But yeah, um, and it's so crazy to see Ty Burrell in this movie uh, as Steve because now like after however many years of Modern Family, eight years or something like that, he's America's favorite dad. You know, he's the nicest guy in the world and you see him in this and he's playing this total prick and it's just like, oh my God, no, that's Phil Dunphy. Phil Dunphy's the nicest guy in the world, but not in this one. So yeah, it's so funny uh, considering the, how his career changed to, to look back and watch him in this role. 
Yeah, and he's like kind of like this sleazy, like porn. Like I don't want to say like he's a porno director, but it definitely seems like it's leaning that way. And then like yeah, like because I had wa- I've watched a bunch of Modern Family, and going back to this, I was like, I'm like holy crap, I forgot he was in this. And like you said, like he's a total sleazeball in this, and. And he's and I love the fact that like everybody decides to go upon this escape plan, and he doesn't lift a finger to help everybody out. Yeah, as they, yeah. And just like as they, and I love the fact that like all right, they take these two shuttles and turn them into like the the Punisher's battle vans, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, incl- uh, uh, and then one of them has like a battering ram at one point. And I love how the each side has um, openings where they can stick chainsaws out to. Uh, to cut down any zombies that like latch on to the uh, the uh, the buses themselves, and boys like Anna and my kind of Michael Sortatius finally like come to fruition here, and they realize like all right, the character of Andy, the guy, the gun shop owner from across the street, uh, we're gonna need him to help us out with this situation, but he's out of food and almost out of time, so they figure out like all right, let's send the dog that we've named Chips with food over to the gun store and hope for the best. And hopefully he can eat, gather his strength, and then we'll just get going. They send the dog over. Everything seems to be going fine. He's about to, he goes in the like the little entrance, the little like doggy door for the gun shop. But zombies get in. And it's like, ah uh, crap. And that's when the character Andy gets bitten and they're talking the walkie talkie. And which two things that, that came to mind in this situation because they decide to use the sewer from the mall to go up to the manhole that's outside the gun shop. A, why didn't they use the walkie-talkies to begin with to talk to the character rather than using the whiteboards? And B, why didn't they have him jump down the manhole and come over to the mall earlier? Well, the the walkie-talkie was with the dog, so they didn't have the walkie-talkie until then. Oh, good point. It was it, it got sent over with the food, so that's how they were able to finally talk. But as far as the uh, the the sewers and and figuring out that connection, yeah, it's almost like they didn't figure that out until that moment. Because uh, yeah, like otherwise, it does make you wonder why they wouldn't have used that prior or used that instead of sending the dog or whatever. It's almost like they figured it out in the moment. They didn't realize they could do that until then. Um, I can't remember exactly what they say there, but yeah, like, I mean, that's the way I took it. I mean, they do have to, like, kind of cut down one of the barriers that separate the sewer to the mall, and they kind of don't want to do that unless it's the last resort, which obviously the situation is. Mm-hmm. And so a few of them go across the street and get into the – and I, as, while this is happening, um, what was the one of the characters um, – was I think it was Nicole's the one who steals a truck and drives over to get the dog. Yeah, yeah. I was a big fan of hers until she does this. I mean, she's adorable, and I'm like, how can you not like this? And then she does, she does this thing, and you're like, oh man, like now you're ruining things for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's. I get it. I love my animals too. I get it, but at the same time, oh. She should, I mean, she should have worked with everyone. They were going to go over there anyway, but she couldn't wait. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you wouldn't go back for your your cats there, guy. I was going to call you out on that, but. No, I mean, <laughs> but no, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go rogue. I would, we would do it together. Yeah. 
and then she, of course like she crashes the truck doing that and climbs away in and has to barricade herself inside the store. So the team goes across the street, fights their way into the gun shop. Um, we find the character of Andy who's now turned into a zombie and Kenneth who's become kind of like good friends with the character says, I'm sorry. And he kills him. This death meant more to me or like, at least impacted me more than uh, the Frank character for some reason. Maybe because we spent more time with him. I do not know. Um, well, I mean, there was there was a lot more there was a lot more uh, you know background there. Is like we we saw them get to know each other from a distance, and and we we know that Kenneth was trying to go help his brother, and and learned that his brother probably died with everyone else, and so now he's got this connection with Andy. So it's almost like it becomes a surrogate brother, and then uh, you know you see, even see it when he says we got to go get Andy. He's part of the group. And so you see like how he's uncompromising in uh in his relationship with Andy and so uh and they talk on the phone. So yeah, like you just get more connection there and you see it throughout the film. So the when it comes to this, it is a lot more heartbreaking. Um I I'll I'll, I'll kind of call BS on on how quickly Andy dies. He dies quickly because the movie requires him to because it's like uh, the, you know Matt Ferrer's character. What was his name at the beginning? Right. Like he he was okay for a while, but Andy he gets bit and he's like, no, I'm fine. I just got a bite, man. Uh, and like immediately he's a zombie. Like he would have probably it would have probably taken him an hour or two to actually die from the bite. But the movie required him to die and turn quickly. So all right, fine, a little bit of a cheat, but I'll I'll, I'll go with it. Yeah, I mean, we don't know the severity of the bite, but, like, then I do agree. It's, like, it is a bit quick. And there is that moment when he goes up on the roof and they're, like, trying to get a word from him. And he's writing something on the board and he reveals the board and it's just his blood blood just smeared all across it. Uh, that's a that's an image that stuck with me. I was, like, oh, wow. And then immediately, that's, a, that's a really good creepy moment. And then he drops the board and he immediately runs back into the store because he hears Nicole like making noise down in the store. But yeah, it is totally for it's because at this point, the third act is all guns blazing at this point. They load up whatever munitions they can from the store. They get back into the uh, they get back into the uh, sewer. And I feel bad for this character, like Tucker, who like jumps like he. Tries to climb down, but he actually falls down the flight, like, falls down the ladder, busting up his leg. And the character CJ has to, like, drag him uh, back to the mall. And there's another thing I kind of kind of poke fun at is that everybody's a crack shot in this movie. Because Tucker's being dragged through the sewer, and he has a pistol in each hand. And headshot, 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 headshot. All the zombies are going down, I'm like... Like, I understand, like, everybody's had experience killing these zombies throughout this movie here, but it just seems like, all right, this is just really easy. Like, this is like somebody put, <laughs> like, everybody's playing the game on easy mode right here. Yeah, I, I, I'll I give you that, but I also think that's just kind of true for most zombie movies, is people people get really good with guns really quick in, in zombie movies and even TV shows because they have to. Yeah, so, I mean, I hear you. Yes, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of normal. Oh, I yeah. actually thought I actually thought that I'm like, you know, I've I've shot a gun maybe once in my life, and I'm like, if I was, 
I'd be re- I'd waste so many bullets because I'm not I'm not a gun guy. I don't really know how to use a gun. So if the zombie apocalypse hits, just be prepared for me to waste a lot of bullets because I feel like I'm going to miss a lot. I can I can see it now. Like they take the gun away from you and just give you the crowbar. Like all right, Andy, you're going to hold this, and yeah. this is going to be your weapon for uh, and, until that. Andy's going to be bait, and uh, it was nice <laughs> knowing him. Here, uh, take this croquet mallet. Best of luck. <laughs> and please put on this red shirt while you're at it. Why? No reason. Just please do that. Yeah. Um, and so they get back to the mall, and the zombies are making their way through the sewer and invading the mall. The their remaining characters run into the elevator to take down to the parking lot. And I love the moment where they're just like catching their breath in the elevator, and CJ is just like, huh, I really like this song. Yeah, that's great. It's a great moment. Um, they get into the buses and they drive out running over all the uh, zombies uh, in their way. And it reminds me, there was a video game that came out two years after this called Dead, uh, Dead Rising, where you play a character stuck in a mall and it takes place over the course of 72 hours in real time. And you have to uh, achieve these uh, op- like uh, getting these objects together in order to get the hell out of the mall. And at one point you can get into a car and run down as many zombies as you can. It does remind me very much like this. And I love the moment where like they strap a flare to a propane tank and toss it into the crowd that's in front of them. They blow up the propane tank and eradicates a bunch of zombies in front of them, but does no damage to the buses whatsoever. No, I know, I know. Well, they, I mean, they, they reinforced the buses really well. They were very good at it. Yeah, and they're making their way through the city, and they're using the chainsaws uh, to lop off any zombies that are attaching themselves to the buses. However, they have to make a tight turn at one point. One of the characters uh, use, um, has the chainsaw primed and everything, accidentally falls into one of the other characters, Cutting her to pieces, and then the bus crashes. Oh, remember, it's brutal. Yeah, and I remember, like, my, my my buddy and I were watching it for the first time when we saw it. We were like, oh! We looked at each other, we high-fived each other. It's like, that was awesome! Like, it was terrible to do that, but it was just so... It was such a, like, just like, oh my god, like, all the like the special effects look was awesome, because <laughs> him and I, like, are all for, like, practical effects and everything like that, and... Yeah, like we're we're those kind of sickos. So I, I'll take full credit that I I'm not the most normal people person out there. Yeah, fair enough. And so after that, um, we find out the character Steve is turned into a zombie, and then Anna headshots him, and everybody's happy for that because he was a kind of douche nozzle throughout the most of the movie. Well, and I love that er- earlier on he says something to about like, you know what, lady, if you know, if I ever turn into one of the th- one of those things, you've got my permission to to shoot me right in the head. And he, she's like, oh yeah, count on it, I will. And so it's nice that she got to keep her word. Exactly. Um, the remaining characters of uh, they get into the one remaining bus, they make it to the marina. Uh, struggle ensues. CJ sacrifices himself by blowing up the bus. Uh, we find out that Michael is. Um, been bitten and decides to stay behind while Kenneth, Terry, Nicole, and Anna um, uh, get on the boat and kind of sail away. And now I now I just have uh, Ocarina Flow uh, uh, by uh, Enya stuck in my head now, sail away. 
Um, and we have this kind of we have this credit sequence where it's cross cut between the credits and then this kind of video camera footage of them making their way through across the water, running out of supply and fuel and actually making to an island and zombies there and presumably they all die and zombies win. Yeah. I mean, to back up for just a second, I do think it's crazy that the beginning of the movie, they, they get into the mall and we meet CJ and God, we hate CJ. He's such a jerk. And, uh, and then they, you know, they, they throw him in the cell and we all cheer because CJ's a jerk. He deserves it. And once he gets out and he kind of proves himself, he actually becomes kind of cool and you like him. And then he makes the sacrifice play. And it's, it's really a shame because you're like, Oh God, because they actually do a great job of winning, winning you over on CJ. So that way, when he does die, you're, you're actually sad about it. So that, you know, huge kudos for, for making us care about him when that happens. Um, also a nice, like heartbreaking ending for, for Michael to, you know, to again, put himself aside for the good of everyone else. Uh, very sad there and really cool. And also very sad that like, you essentially get the sequel to the movie over the credits, which is cool. Um, but it just doesn't work out so well for them, which is a shame. <laughs> so you get this really efficient um, found footage sequel to Dawn of the Dead in in a really short amount of time. And you, you know, you find out that things didn't didn't work out. Yeah. And like amongst this, this scene, like they do pick up or they well, I guess they pull the cooler out of the water at one point and they open it up and there's a zombies decapitated head in there still alive mm-hmm. usually in zombie movies like you decapitate them or shoot them ahead or bludgeon them to death they'll that's it they're done they're not getting back up it's curious to see a severed head of the zombie still alive still trying to eat people well generally if you decapitate him the head will stay alive at least in walking dead that, that that's true you have to you have to destroy the head you have to destroy the brain right that's true i mean like it's been it's been forever since i've watched the walking dead i gave up after the second season i know i'm a heathen for that but um well the second season was really shitty so i don't blame you um so when people when when that's when if people tell me that that's when they jumped off I go I don't blame you I almost jumped off the second season was awful um, but it picked back up yeah I mean like I do kind of kick myself like ah oh, I didn't get to experience the governor I didn't get to see Merle come back but I'm like oh, I'm still not gonna lose sleep over that and then almost kind of like a precursor to the found footage craze like Grand you had the Blair Witch Project the last broadcast and you kind of had like and then you had like 28 days later shot on mini DV tape and not film. So it has that kind of video quality, but like you said, having this kind of like found footage sequel to Dawn of the dead here in the credit sequences is, is really interesting. And then hell, even um, George Romero would make a found footage uh, zombie movie in diary of the dead after land the dead at one point. Oh really? I'd never seen that one. I didn't know that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay. There are moments of it that are really good, but there's other moments that are really bad. I mean, there is one, like, kind of mute Amish person that's actually, like, the most badass character in the world killing zombies with dynamite. 
I know it. That sounds like a Mad Libs thing. Like, all right, mute Amish badass. Like, it doesn't sound like those things should not comp- compute, but it does. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, ha- then of course, like, there's another video game that was called Dead Island, where a character is vacationing in a tropical island, and it's very much like how the ending of this movie is. And I just, I'm like, huh, I wonder if that was in the back of people's minds. Um, when it came to making that game. But as we reached the end of the movie, and oh, another note that I forgot, when they reach the marina, the bus crashes into a um, a boat, destroying it as it comes to a stop. And I, and I wrote down, like, Snyder's a dick to boats because in BVS at one point, when Batman is chasing uh, the kryptonite, he died, the Batmobile comes out of, like, the second floor of the warehouse, scraping... Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the truck and destroys a boat, and I'm like, is that just the thing of his? He's just like not a fan of boats and just wants to destroy him in every movie. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, but yeah. So, what are your thoughts of after revisiting uh, this version of Dawn of the Dead again? I think. I mean, I think it still really works. I really, I really dig this movie. I think it's uh, it's really scary. It's really exciting. It's pretty nonstop. I mean, we kind of glazed over it at the beginning, but the the uh, the whole scene of her driving out of her neighborhood as all hell breaks loose is is such a effective and, and scary and intense sequence. Like that's great. Um, there's a lot of really great scary sequences in here, and then there's a lot of great character building too. So you're invested in what happens to these people. Um, and uh, it's it goes to show that a horror remake is not always a bad thing, uh, and there are quite a few. You know, I'm not I'm not always opposed to remakes, uh, and you can even remake a classic like Dawn of the Dead and still do justice by it, and in no way damage the legacy of the original. But then you just have this really great companion piece. So, yeah, I mean, I think that this is a, a hell of a debut for Zack Snyder, and and obviously it was because it was a big hit, and it led to him getting uh, three hundred, which then blew up, and you know, the rest is history. Um, but he started making this this scary little remake that I think probably people were, were probably not super on board with when it was announced. And then it turned out just to be really darn good. And yeah, you got to give credit to James Gunn's James Gunn's script as well. Um, because that also was a big part in helping craft the different personalities of all these characters. So no, I think it's a, it's a great horror movie. It's a great horror remake. Um, and, uh, it proves that you can remake a classic and, and it, can still work. Yeah, I mean, um, like, well, like going back to what you're saying with the uh, the first part of the movie, and I do love that moment where it's just like the camera is behind Anna's car as she's driving through her neighborhood, and it's just super wide, so we get to see on both sides of the street of how how these all these different situations are getting out of hand, and I just really like that long take of just following the car throughout the neighborhood, and like you said, that this is like Dawn of the Dead, like would be one of those movies that you thought before that it's like sacrilege. You cannot remake it. And it goes, mm-hmm. and it goes to like kind of like a theory I have about Zack Snyder as a filmmaker. If I was going to be able to sum up him in one word, it would be fearless because he's not afraid to make bold statements in his movies. Mm-hmm. He's, he's oh not yeah. Afraid- he, he takes big swings. Absolutely. He always has. Yeah, and like for to some people, like like 
like I say, like some people say, like, oh, he has more hits than misses. Some say, like, um, he's more misses than hits. It's all about your personal preferences and movies are subjective. But that's something I adore about his his career ever since the very beginning. It's very, like, with this one, like, all right, uh, like, it's my first future film. I'm going to remake a landmark horror movie. All right, I'll do it. And then, of course, like you see, like, Watchmen, the unfilmable comic book movie. Like, I got that. I'll do it. Like we can't up uh, we can't update Superman for the modern day. I can do that. Like we'll take we'll take America's most beloved superhero and make him pretty much the antagonist in BVS. That's what he did, and and I just hope like people will recognize that, or at least hopefully that people will kind of like in retrospect kind of realize. All right, yes, like you said, he takes big swings, and we should acknowledge him that and kind of champion him for that. Like rather than just because there's so many people who go out of their way just to be outright negative towards his output right i mean and that's i mean that's the downside of taking big swings is that if you take big risks you just run the risk of turning more people off and he's not afraid of that and for that i i've always applauded him i I love that you know you don't not every movie has to be made for everyone and Zack snyder takes risks um he doesn't play it safe ever, and you you can like it or you cannot like it. But uh, I've always respected that about him as a filmmaker. Yeah, and another reason, and like another reason why I wanted to review this movie is like you said, you have it on Blu-ray. I remember because I I followed Shout Factory on their social media and I bought a bunch of their movies from them. And they're releasing, <clears throat> excuse me, they're releasing their version, their Blu-ray for Dawn of the Dead. I think like like a week before Halloween and I pre-ordered that and I'm like, Dawn of the Dead, like that's what, another thing I should go back and rewatch. So and like I say a plug for a company I don't work for, but I say like Shout Factory, if you like this movie, I'd say probably get the Blu-ray of it um, and support that company because I think they put out really great work. And um, Oh yeah, their, their horror Blu-rays are awesome and I'm glad to hear that they're doing that because I have just the Universal Blu-ray and it's fine, but it's pretty bare bones. There's not tons on there, so I'm glad to hear that uh, Shot Factory is giving it, uh, doing another version. Yeah, and like, I love like the kind of poster art or like the art for the cover of it is because it's the depicting the scene from them in the um, in the parking lot when they're going to try and turn the power back on in the mall, and it's kind of like done like uh, almost like. It's like a painting, and they're all silhouetted against their, like, the one light source at the end of, the, like, the far end of the um, uh, parking lot. And you see the zombies in the distance as they approach them. And I'm like, okay, that's really cool. And I'm curious, like, if they, I'm pretty sure they're going to probably port over the same commentary track that he did for the original release. And But I'm curious, like, how cool it would be if Zack Snyder was able to go back and do a new commentary track for this. I'm not too sure. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, in in regards of like Zack Snyder's filmography overall, like where do you think this kind of lands for you in terms of if you're gonna like rate them or how much you go back to them? Huh. Um. Good question. Because <laughs> uh, I really, I mean, I've. I, I am a Zack Snyder fan. I've I've enjoyed all of his films to one degree or another. Um. But this one, 
I mean, obviously I revisit his comic book films more because they're comic book films and that's my thing. You know, that's what I do. Yeah. Uh, but I love horror almost as much. And, uh, and so, yeah, this one, I mean, it's probably in the middle of the pack, I guess, as far as his filmography. But, but that's, again, it's tough to choose because I like them all. There aren't any that I truly don't like. Um, but I might put this one ahead of like 300 and sucker punch maybe. Um, just off the top of my head, I guess maybe I'd put it ahead of those two, but I like those two as well. Um, but I mean, it's a it's a great solid horror movie, and it's really his only horror movie, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's strange that he didn't do more horror since he had a big hit with this, and it's it's generally well regarded. Uh, you never know; he could always go back. But uh, but yeah, no, I think it's a it's a great movie, and so. When you asked me to do this, I'm like, yeah, like it's you don't have to twist my arm to revisit this one because it's just a it's it's really entertaining. It's really scary and it's uh, really exciting. I dig it. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like uh, with there are certain like filmmakers that get to like they start a small movie, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And of course, if they have successes along the way, the expectation of their stories become higher. I feel like the prime example, example is Christopher Nolan. Like, like, like of course, I had his leading up to the Dark Knight, and he had Inception after that. And I'm like, like how, like, how can he get any better than Dark Knight Rises, which had like some people a little myth, and then Hitler Seller has put the crowd against some people when it came to the execution of that. They came back to Dunkirk, which is kind of a smaller small budget Harris Harris to Stellar Stellar and Rises, and it's a huge success. And I'm like, with with Zack Snyder, which is basically his huge temple years years late point, I kind of want to go back to smaller, and where he's like, all right, all right, sure, I may not have all his voice, but I may not have had. Like, 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 I can have the disposable CGI, CGI I want, but, like, but like, let's see if I can be creative with these limits. Something that we've brought before, the limitations, the limitations made more creative. creative. Like, if we look at James Wan, Wan made bigger movies, then he'll go back to make smaller movies with these cities and conjuring movies. I kind of want that for Zack Snyder and the future. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Was it the way it seems? But, but much like much you, like I think this kind of falls in the back, middle of the pack for me. I, I do believe I enjoy it more than, definitely more than his owl CGI movie. I forget the legend of the Legend of the Guardians, the, the Owls of Gahul. Yes, like I almost said Gahul. I'm like, well, that's not right. Like, uh, but uh, but yeah. Before that, and probably a little bit before Sucker Punch, I mean, I'm surprised uh, Jamie didn't show up, because uh, we mentioned Sucker Punch on a podcast. I'm surprised he has not tweeted at us somehow, because we, we both know how his uh, affections that movie and bringing up in conversations as much as possible. I know. <laughs> I mean, uh, that may be, maybe that's how I'll bait him onto my show. Is like, I say, like, hey, you want to review Sucker Punch? And he'll be here. Um, I may watch... 300 a little bit more than this but like that's another one i need to go back to more often but i think yeah this falls in the middle of pack for me and i'm trying to think now like what's my favorite Zack snyder movie and it may be hmm and maybe bbs or maybe Watchmen. i'm not too sure but i'm gonna have to think about that but anyway final thoughts on Zack snyder's dawn the dead 
Oh, God, I feel like I already said them. Uh, just yeah. that it's a, a great remake. Uh, it's a great horror movie. Uh, it was a hell of a debut for Zack Snyder, and he immediately launched to the A-list uh, of directors, and he's been there ever since. I agree with you, though. I think that I think it might be good for him to go small again just to recharge his batteries because he's just been doing these massive movies ever since. Um but yeah, I mean, Dawn of the Dead, it's it's a great companion to the original classic. It it doesn't in any way damage or take away from the original, and the original's not going anywhere. Uh, but sometimes a remake can be nearly as good um, and uh, really fun to revisit this time of year. So I think Dawn of the Dead uh, from 2004, which I was shocked that it was that long ago, but once I started thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, I guess that adds up. Um a really great zombie movie and a really great remake. Yeah, and um, it's funny. Like, I sent you that photo of, like, the introduction before the movie and, like, see the joke we made, like, how young Zack Snyder looks in that, like, little video and compared to pictures you see him today. Like, wow, it really has been that long. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful remake. I think it's a great action movie. I think it's a great horror movie. And like you said, it's another one that I think like if you want to switch it up, like movies you have in your rotation uh, for to be watched around this year, I say highly, I highly recommend this. And do you have any other zombie movies that come off the top of your head that you recommend? Well, I mean, since we're talking remakes, uh, I love the original Night of the Living Dead, but I love the Night of the Living Dead remake. I think that's another great one-two punch there. The original is classic. It's it's iconic. It's amazing. I love it. But I thought the remake that Tom Savini did was awesome. I loved that one. So uh, those, I think, are really, really solid. Um, other zombie – I mean, I've, I've enjoyed a bunch of them, but yeah, I'll leave it at that. I, I – Night of the Living Dead, you can't go wrong. The remake, if you've never checked out that remake, give it a shot. And then both Dawn of the Dead, or both Dawns of the Dead, I think those are good too. Nice. Um, I co-signed that. I say, of course, check out Day of the Dead, which I really dig, from, uh, from 85. Uh, Return of the Living Dead. Um, oh, and one other thing I, I just remembered about the later like Resident Evil movies would kind of like written by Paul W.S. Anderson were kind of curbed from other zombie movies and it's like almost like complete set pieces were dropped into them. I think it was like the fifth Resident Evil movie has a has like the same location like almost like the same neighborhood that Anna's character uh, lives in like that like how Resident Evil 5 opens very much opens up like this and I remember watching it uh, I guess like two years ago I'm like why have I seen this before? And I couldn't put my finger on it until just recently when I rewatched this. I'm like, oh, that's where I ripped off. He ripped it off from this movie. But, really? Uh, it's like, is a very similar sequence? Yeah, where it's like the same kind of uh, subdivision where the entire neighborhood's being attacked. That you see ambulances running through. And we have the characters trying to hide in the house at one point. I think like even um, Mia Jokovic, I think, it tries to escape in a car at one point with her daughter, and I'm like. This looks very familiar. Like, like, it almost seems like they shot in the same neighborhood. Like, almost uh, to the point where I always joke with when it comes to, like, Poltergeist and E.T. That looks like it was shot in the same neighborhood. Like, that's how close they were. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, let's uh, start wrapping this up. Now, if you want people to follow you on social media on your podcast, where can they find you to do that? 
Uh, well, if you're interested in uh, my podcast, which is very Batman-focused, you can check out Holy Batcast. You can find that show uh, wherever you find your podcasts, Holy Batcast, and you can follow it on social media on uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and Twitter, Holy Batcast. And if you'd like to just follow me on Twitter or on Instagram, it's just my name, Andy DiGenova, A-N-D-Y-D-I-G-E-N-O-V-A. Nice. And of course, you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2, my Instagram at TRooney1012, my YouTube and Facebook pages under the same banner of Through the Lens Productions, where my latest short film, Jack, is up. We have a bunch, we have two short films in the works right now a uh, sci fi sex comedy called Insert and a horror movie called DD that's going to be planned to come out for Halloween this year. And yeah, that's about it. And of course, if you like this podcast, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a five star review and a written review to get the word out there if you really enjoy it. And I hope you have. And Andy, I want to thank you again for uh, giving up some for your free time to uh, talk uh, zombies with me. Of course. Thanks again for the invite. Always a good time. All right. And I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode. If anything goes, and uh, stay tuned for all the horror remakes coming through the month of October. We have. We have John Carpenter's The Thing. We have Gus Van Sant's Psycho, which Guy Milks has Jedi mind tricked me into reviewing. And I'm probably and that's guy. That's Guy's favorite movie. He loves that one. Oh, uh, he I, he he told me that it's way better than Hitchcock. That's what he told me. Can I quote you on that? Yeah, you absolutely can. Like Guy Milks, like he, I think he has a poster of Vince Vaughn's Norman Bates up at his house. It's like show. it's his favorite film performance is Vince Vaughn's Norman. Oh my god! Uh, do you what? knowing him that w- that wouldn't shock me if that was true? Uh, and of course, later on in the month, uh, my friend Nikki and I will going to be covering uh, the new recently released Stephen King's It, which means I got to rewatch the miniseries for it. But until then, uh, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll talk to you soon. sickness is rising it seems that all that was good has died oh no the world is a scary place now that you've woken up the demon in me bobby will you give it to me Two, three, four. Oh. <laughs> get up come on get down with the sickness you mother get up Sickness, you fucker, get up, come on, get down with the dickness, open up your hate and let it flow into me, why can't you just fuck up and die, get down with the sickness, fuck you, I don't need this shit, I'm 
die.